Hello and welcome back to the Not A Game podcast. Yes, believe it, after a long nine-month hiatus, which kind of makes it sound like I was off having a baby, which I wasn't, <laughs> we're finally back. It's 2016, New Year, new yarns about the games and not games we've been playing. Mm. I'm Jordan Erica Weber, and today it's just me and my long-suffering co-host, Tom Hatfield. Hey, hi everyone. Um, sorry that we've been away. It's entirely my fault and in no way Jordan's. Yeah, I wasn't actually having a baby. Uh, it's 2016, can you believe it? Mm. We've it's... been asleep for nine months. <laughs> <laughs> Since April, I think, was mm. the last episode. When I think we were talking about alien isolation or something. It seems like so long ago. Yeah, I, that's the thing I should have looked up before we started. That's what we actually talked about the last time. Um, it doesn't matter, because this is... I mean, we're going to call this a new season, mm-hmm. I think, because it's been so long. So we... After saying I'm going to not think about the games of 2015, I think we should actually start by talking about some of the games of 2015, mm. though, because it has been so long and we haven't talked about them at all, apart from for everywhere else uh, that we work for. Yeah, and in uh, several Guardian podcasts, in your case, I think. Yeah, and in several Guardian podcasts, and in uh, and in the My Favourite Game of 2015 oh, yeah. podcast, which I also... What was had. your favourite game of 2015, Jordan? My uh, Take a wild guess. Was it The Sims? Uh, no, actually, or Fallout it didn't come out in. Uh, Fallout was it was up there. Um, no, my my favorite game of 2015 was actually a PC uh, release of a game that previously came out on iPhone. Can you? Oh guess? yes, of course. Um, Kitty Powers Matchmaker. It is, of course, Kitty Powers Matchmaker, <laughs> which is almost probably almost my favorite game of all time. Um, I'm going to stick with The Sims as my favorite game of all time because there's, I think, more to it, but. Mm. I just, I just love Kitty Powers Matchmaker and and the really deep dive into the systems of dating uh, yes. that it constitutes. And you made a very strong case for that actually, um, in your video brains talk. I did. Was... Thank you for mentioning, so I didn't have to do it myself. <laughs> which is, is it is online, isn't it? it was um, from December, is that right? Uh, yes, Christmas Brains mm-hmm. Two, uh, mm-hmm. Christmas Harder. Uh, I... <laughs> this means this year's is going to be Christmas with a vengeance. Is that what the new Die Hard movie is called? I it's, know. I believe it's, uh, it's, it's Die Hard, Die Hard 2, Die Harder, then Die Hard with a Vengeance, and then the, uh, the rest of the sequels no one cares about. Oh my goodness, I've only seen the first one. <laughs> hey, um, side note, isn't mm. it terrible that Alan Rickman has died? Uh, the, yes, yes it is, sorry. Oh my goodness. That, yeah. No, no, it's, I mean, mm-hmm. so, I understand that David Bowie is a big deal, but, mm. Um, he kind of feels like he was before my time, whereas Alan Rickman was around enough for me to have an inappropriate crush on him, <laughs> given his age. Uh, I think it's the mm. first time, maybe apart from Heath Ledger, that somebody I've actively fancied has died, which feels really weird. Happens more as you get older. Yeah, I'm not looking forward to that. And speaking of getting older, Tom. Actually, I can't think of that many myself because obviously they shepherd all women, all older women off the screen. So, oh, that's it makes true. It easier. Mm. You won't know that they've died because mm. we we die when we're forty. <laughs> yeah. Speaking of getting older, mm-hmm. it's twenty sixteen. How old are you going to be this year? I'm going to be thirty this year. Thirty, goodness me! Mm. And I'm going to be twenty six. We're mm. both getting too old for this. <laughs> me slightly more so. It's time to stop writing about video games. I think again. you're about as old as I was as I was when I started this. Oh my goodness, that makes me feel strange. <laughs> Slightly better, I think. Mm. Um. Anyway, Kitty Powers Matchmaker. Mm-hmm. Let's get back on track. Um. I have already talked about it a lot, so I won't go on. But if people do want to know why I love it so much, the Video Brains Talk is a really good place to start. If you don't want to watch a video, I also spoke about it for. The uh, My Favourite Game podcast, Johnny Collins podcast, um, I spoke about it for My Favourite Game of 2015. I wasn't allowed to talk about it at the Guardian Live event <laughs> when we picked Favourite Games of the Year because mm. uh, Keith said it didn't count because it's a PC release of a previously released game. <laughs> I was bad. I, I thought you were going to say he didn't count. He said it didn't count because it's not a game. Uh, oh. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't think he's that bad. Um yeah, no, it was, it was really interesting. I yeah, I really enjoyed the talk because you'd spoken about it before, but um, you hadn't done that sort of deep dive into mechanically how it works, and I found that really interesting. Mm. No, I'm glad I had the chance, really, because um, I haven't. I don't think I've reviewed Kitty Powers for anywhere. And when people say, you know, in the pub, "What's your favourite game?" Explain why you don't have your notes prepared. You know, you just kind of that is pretty much what Video Brains is. It's that, but with your notes prepared. 
Well, exactly. Yeah. It's talk about something that, that really fascinates you, but actually have done your research and mm. have slides and jokes that you wrote beforehand and then took out of the talk because nobody understood them. <laughs> I never take them out. I, I had the jokes, <laughs> the jokes that no one understands. What was your favorite game of 2015? That is a good question. I, I found it quite hard to pick one this year. Like, it's not that there haven't been good games. I feel like there's just been lots of pretty good games and nothing that's said, this is the best to me. Mm. Um, partly I think because a lot of the big releases have been things that I'm not that interested in, like, um, Halo games and Metal Gear games. Um, so I'm probably going to pick to talk about first at least Rocket League, which, uh, I got quite obsessed with in the middle of the uh, year there. Mostly because I thought about it and I, I think it had been a couple of years since I'd really, I'd, I'd, possibly even a year since I played anything, um, any multiplayer game at all, really. I'd really gone off it. Um, oh, since... playing with other people is the worst. <laughs> so, apart from like a brief burst, I think when Titanfall came out, um, because I felt, it felt like everyone, all the people I used to play multiplayer games with, um, just played Dota. Uh, mm. Over and over again, yeah. Um, or, or Destiny, um, which I'm, uh, which I haven't played because I don't have a console. Uh, I only have a PC now. Um, <laughs> now that I've moved. You're, you're a pure gamer. <laughs> yeah, I. The, the, yeah, but um, this is the first time that's been the case. Actually, come to think about it, because I well, actually I've only ever owned one, uh, bought one console myself, which is the Xbox 360. But I've always lived with other people that have consoles. Uh, so uh, now that yeah. I'm living by myself, it's like, no, just this. Um, <laughs> I, ca- I got rid of the 360 because, to be honest, there wasn't that much left that I was going to play on it. And also, I don't have a television either anymore. I just watch things on the computer. <laughs> oh, wow. You should see our flat. We've got um, my housemate and I have each got our television set up in the sitting room. So they're next nice. to each other. We've got two PlayStation 4s, I think two Wii U's, and then all of the other consoles. Yeah, I remember when, um, when I was in university, we had, uh, there were at least like, most of the people in the house were into games to a varying degrees, and so we had, um, so we had, uh, like, um, this was around the time the Xbox 360 was released, so we had one of those. We didn't have a PlayStation 3 because it was super expensive when it first came out, but we had GameCube, PS2, um, uh, original Xbox, uh, Dreamcast, <laughs> uh, a Mega Drive, no uh, a Wii, Basically, one of everything except the PS3 at the time, I think. Um, so uh, it was cast. pretty ludicrous. Yeah, there was a huge tangle of wires there. Yeah, no, I, it's my um, Dreamcast, an underrated console. I think it's it had a load of interesting ideas, but it just didn't have the games on it. It was kind of a a mythical console for me because I my uncle had one when I was really small, and I remember vaguely playing on one with him, but as I grew up, I couldn't remember what the console was that I'd played on, or what the games were. I just had these really vague memories mm. of them, and I don't think I've played on one since. Yeah, it's it's got a very dedicated fan base, so are probably going to be angry that I just said it doesn't have any games on it, because it does have good games, but much <laughs> like much like the GameCube, I think it just didn't release them regularly enough. Like, there were one or two games that were worth playing a year, and that was it. Which which was more acceptable back then. <laughs> Nowadays, right, obviously, yeah. that's how many Steam releases in a week. I I have a friend who um who has every single Dreamcast game that came out in Europe. <laughs> wow. Yeah, I wrote an article about him for Kotaku. <laughs> you have to you have to link to mm. it. There's a picture of all his games. Mm. Um, well, some of those are quite rare and expensive as well. Um, yeah, he's a bit of a collector. His room is just lined <laughs> with games and Blu-rays and stuff. It's pretty cool. So yeah, uh, I've, I've completely gone off track. As I was saying, uh, Rocket, Rocket League, League I, I football really, and video games. Yeah, I hadn't really played uh, online uh, multiplayer for a while. Um, I'm not a very like competitive gamer, so I don't get really into the esports stuff. And it felt like everyone was drifting that way, and there were less games that were like just for fun. Team Fortress Two used to be my big big thing for that, but I feel that game's getting on a bit. But <laughs> at this point, um, but Rocket League really sort of brought it back. It was a game that I could drop into. With complete strangers, and still have a fun time, and that's mm. surprisingly rare. There are plenty of multiplayer games where you know, with you with a group of friends, or you're semi-organized, or you're really competitive, you can have fun. But when you just once that you can just drop in with a group of complete strangers, and most of the time you'll have a good time, is astonishingly rare. Um, I think part of that might be that there's no 
there's not a lot of chat systems in the game apart from the people just uh, having like a, a handful of options. Although they still manage to sarcastically say nice shot uh, whenever you miss and such like. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's, it's got it's really hard to explain Rocket League, I think, because it is just football with cars. But and and that sounds like the kind of thing that makes you go, oh, that's fun for five minutes, and then is, isn't for the rest of it. But there's something about the fact that it's this this giant, physically impossible, weird physics, like very slow moving ball that's like it's moving through jelly compared to the rest of the world, which is all cars on rockets, that gives it this strange sort of farce to it, as you all... Um, like, I imagine there are people who are very, very good at it and always do what they intend, but 90% of people, uh, like, half the things they do in Rocket League will be a happy accident. <laughs> it's not just football... Uh, it's not just football and rocket cars. It's like football in rocket cars where all both teams are the Three Stooges. Uh, <laughs> Tom... I don't know what the three stooges are. Well, that's before all our times. But uh, basically, (laughs) think uh, slapstick silent comedy. Right, okay. You did a talk at Nine Worlds, ostensibly about Rocket League, but actually just about football. Yeah, that that was a weird thing. some of the facts that you gave me, or gave to the audience, (laughs) I remembered and was able to repeat to people at Game City who knew things about football to sound like I knew things about football. You are actually the only person who said that to me at Game City, so I'm now wondering if you are both repeating them at each other. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe, yeah. Um, it was a good talk. Yeah, um, it went down well. I was, uh, it was a little worried because, you know, obviously nine was and, you know, traditional sports, not exactly the kind of thing you'd, um, usually put together, but, you know, um, it's all about trying something different, I think, and mm. people seem to get along with it. Um, mostly just because I picked the most entertaining anecdotes. <laughs> And tried to relate them to games and just uh, talk about uh, football as like a game design problem as to what happened. And then really interestingly, as I said, at, um, at Game City, um, uh, Holly did, Holly Gramazio, um, organized something that was very similar where they went, uh, where they essentially read it, had several game designers come in and redesign football, which was really interesting. Mm. And it's coming from the same place, I think, treating it as, as a design problem. Yeah, no, that was, I mean, because I, football doesn't interest me in the slightest, um, but I, I did find that interesting. The idea of video game designers, for the most part, I think, um, taking what is such a big deal in this country and adding their own kind of flair to uh-huh. it. William Pugh, I, I don't think was, uh, I don't think he was allowed. <laughs> I yeah. think that might have been a bit, a bit too out there for people. <laughs> It would have just been regular football, but everyone would have had to follow predefined paths whilst William narrated to them sarcastically. <laughs> I'll have to tell him you said that. Um, speaking of slapstick mm. in games, uh, one of my other favourite games of 2015, at least I think it came out in 2015, I'm going to double check, was Yoshi's Woolly World, which people laugh whenever I say it because apparently it sounds like I'm saying something else. <laughs> June 25th, 2015. But yes, yes, you should, if you like slapstick in games, you should play Yoshi's Woolly World. Mm. There's lots of, um, because you're both playing a Yoshi that can stick out its tongue and eat other things in the world, you can gobble up each other and then kind of poop them out as little balls of yarn and follow them along <laughs> behind you. And the, the balls of yarn bounce behind you, um, <laughs> which is quite cute to watch. And you can throw each other off platforms and stuff. Mm. Um, it's really, really fun to play with a friend. And I don't really have anything else to say about it because it's just really delightful and the music's yeah. great. It looks beautiful. Have you uh, played it? I haven't, no. Um, I was going to say, I think video games lend themselves really well to slapstick generally because we're all quite bad at them. Or at least most mm. of us are quite bad at them. So, and, and control schemes are much more, it's all much more awkward to move in a game than it is in real life most of the time unless it's super <laughs> well designed. You haven't seen me try to move in real life. <laughs> so yeah, you get these, like, Almost every, um, or, or it's, or there'll be ones where it's easy to move, but if you looked at some of them, like most first person games, you would look utterly ludicrous from the outside when you actually see someone who is sprinting at Olympic pace whilst, um, whilst, uh, their upper body is like set perfectly still. It's like when you try to watch a, uh, play a Bethesda game in third mm. person and you suddenly realize how ridiculous your character looks as it kind of yeah. sidesteps up and down slopes. Yeah, well, terrible Bethesda jump. Um, but yeah, yeah it's, uh, it's, it's, uh, I think there is, they, they do lend themselves well to that kind of ridiculous slapstick just because it comes so easily. And because at the moment you put in a bunch of like interesting systems, they intermesh into some way which is almost inevitably comic. Speaking of the ridiculous Bethesda jump, 
have you played Fallout 4? I've played a lot of Fallout 4. Well, okay. Okay. So I, I've played I've, it as well. What did you think of it? I was going to say, I, I haven't so much played Fallout 4 as I've played Wasteland Building Simulator. <laughs> right, uh, yeah. <laughs> I've spent a lot of time building cool little towns. Um, and I feel like I've basically only, ex- only explored the top one quarter of the, the like top left quarter of the map <laughs> as a result. Um, but yeah, I'm really enjoying it. Um, I think, uh, it's, it feels very, there was another thing is that I saw, uh, I've seen a lot of people saying, oh, it's, it's just another Bethesda game, but it feels very different to me, um, in like the fact that it uses a fully voiced protagonist, the fact that it's got this whole complicated, um, town building and settlement system in there. It feels like the biggest departure they've had in their, of their formula for quite some time. Right. But I guess if you look at it in the abstract, it's not really that much of a departure, you know, just adding, I mean, the Lego games added voice acting. And no, we didn't true, say yeah. they they changed entirely. No, but I, I guess it feels kind of different that your your person feels like more of a character, which you've never really been in mm. in the previous games. I guess jarring, I think, um, more for some people than for others. So I found it quite. Um, I don't know how much we want to spoil, but uh, spoiler alert, I guess, if you don't want to know what happens at the beginning of Fallout Four, but your your baby gets kidnapped and then you have to go and find it. And mm. I guess some people resented uh that being the motivation for the game. Um mm. to which I say, welcome to being a woman who has to play <laughs> as a man looking for his damsel. Um but in this instance, because I was playing as a woman, um I found it quite um I don't know, I didn't feel as it didn't feel as jarring to me as I think it did to some other players. I thought I'm a mother on a mission. This is what a mother would do to get her baby back uh, if she found that he'd been taken. Yeah, it's like almost dadification of games things people talked about a while back only reversed. Exactly, um, yeah. But I, I, I get the point there. Um, I was surprised, actually, when I found out that because um, at the start of it, you, you uh, it has this... It's one of those high-concept Bethesda tutorials they love so much where you mm. create your own... Uh, you, um, you create your character and then you create your spouse and then you can pick which one to go as. Um, which obviously means that um, you have to be in a straight relationship at the start of the game. And I was surprised that there wasn't an option around that because previously, with um, things like uh, with Skyrim and with Fallout, they've just n- they've just not cared to distinguish between sexes in terms mm. of relationships. So it seemed weird to just like tap that bit at the, at the beginning. That was a bit weird. Also, mm-hmm. the fact that and I um, think that's the people who kind of objected to it the most, probably. Yeah. And that, that makes sense, being forced into that kind of role. Um, mm-hmm. I also found it weird that you get the war, war never changes intro from the point of view of the man. You know, his grandfather was a soldier and now he's a soldier. And if you want to play as the woman, you're just that guy's wife. Yeah. Um, she's, uh, which felt really weird. Yeah, she's a lawyer, isn't she? Or something. Yeah, that is mm. super weird. Like, it felt like they could have delayed that intro, they could have delayed that cutscene till later and then just picked whichever one you run with. Mm. Um. But, but still, overall, apart from that, the weird story stuff yeah. uh, at the beginning, I I yeah. really enjoyed Fallout Four. Yeah. But having said that, yeah, despite what you saying earlier that it felt like there was more of a character to the protagonist, if you're not into it, you can just wander around and build stuff for like eighty hours, which is what I've done. Mm. Um, yeah, uh, eighty I, hours, probably Gosh. something like that. I have no idea yeah. where my son is, uh, but I've got a really nice um, little market town where the cinema used to be. <laughs> <laughs> I love the building stuff, but I'm such a perfectionist that mm. I keep holding off like, oh, I'll come back to this and spend mm. a good few hours on it and make it really, really good. So all my settlements are just kind of basically functional mm. because I keep telling myself I'll come back and make them really, really good later mm. on when I've got more materials and stuff. Yeah, I, I ended up doing it bit by bit. Um, probably, well, I, like, I wanted to do it perfect the first time, but I just didn't. And so I ended up having to revise it constantly as I learned new tricks and things. My favorite thing about the settlement building is the noise it makes when you clear up. <laughs> I was telling Adam this, Adam Rosser on uh, Radio 5 Live. I said, <laughs> I said, my favorite thing I think about Fallout 4 is that you get to finally clear up the wasteland. Mm-hmm. That you can throw away all the junk that's lying around, at least in the settlement areas. Um, which led him to ask me why I think the game is so popular with women. <laughs> 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 which, uh, which I thought was quite funny, and I think he did as well afterwards in hindsight. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but it's true. It is. It is popular with women. Not necessarily because you get to clean up. No, people like cleaning stuff up. As we're, not in not in real life in games, but uh, it's weird. Like um, I've heard tons of anecdotes about this. Obviously, a uh, viscera cleanup detail is a thing. People have paid money for a game that is entirely about cleaning. 
Um, and if, uh, you've probably heard the thing about uh, Gone Home, haven't you? Um, about how in one of the earlier builds of Gone Home, when you picked stuff up, um, you couldn't put it back in the same place. You just dropped mm. it, like you do in most games. But partly because this was like someone's house, no, all the people who tested it just really did not like just dropping stuff everywhere, so they had to put the function in to put it up neatly back up, back away again. <laughs> of course, then there are the people who picked up all the items and piled them up in one room, mm. oh, which yeah, people also true. do in Bethesda games, I think. They collect pumpkins and fill up their house with them. Um, but yeah, video games, they're basically cleaning. Tetris, <laughs> definitely cleaning up. Yeah, but there's a, there's a lot of, like... In, uh, in Fallout, it's... um Well, not so much the cleaning stuff, but there is a lot of, like... It feels a lot like a doll's house or something at times when I'm building stuff and mm. dressing up my settlers and such like. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it, it gives me that, that Sims feeling, mm. which obviously I like a lot, that yeah. being my favourite game. Well, one thing I like about it, though, is that, is that um, if I treat it like Minecraft and I spend all my time building, then whenever I run out of stuff, instead of spending ages like mining somewhere, I said I'd just go and play a Bethesda game. <laughs> <laughs> what else did you play in 2015? Um... So you didn't play The Witcher 3. I didn't. I haven't finished The Witcher 2 yet. There's too right. many big RPGs. You didn't play Metal Gear Solid 5. No. Um, I'll tell you, one game that I've really enjoyed, actually, um, having gone back to it uh, fairly recently, I think. I can't remember if it was initially released in uh, 2015 or whether it was 2014, but um, it went into early access and it was released, released in 2015, um, which is Invisible Ink. Oh, I've heard a lot about this. They talk about it a lot on Crate and Crowbar, mm. but I haven't played it. So um, I have talked about it on the podcast before, but that was way back when it first went into early access. Um, and I, I didn't like it that much at first, actually. This is probably the first game I've had where I didn't like it when it first came out and uh, when it first came into early access, but then I liked it at the end. Is it normally the reverse? Um, no, usually I just like it and then usually either I don't like it and it never really fixes the problems or I like it and it just gets a bit better. Okay. Yeah. Um, so, um, no, I, have, I haven't had anything that's gone in the reverse. Although some people have, uh, said that, um, I know if some people have, I know, um, there was a, some conversation a while, uh, going a while back about Darkest Dungeon, which I really enjoyed when it first came into early access and I haven't played since, but apparently it's been made much harder and more frustrating since then. Oh, oh no. <laughs> um, but, I do remember you talking about that, actually. Mm. Uh, but Invisible Ink is a um, roguelike uh, stealth game, um, turn-based, uh, kind of plays a little bit like XCOM, but with instead of like a squad of people shooting things, you are uh, this couple of people sneaking into um, a place. Um, and the turn-based stealth actually works really well. It's, it, it makes it really interesting the way you're uh, interacting with guard sightlines and hiding behind things. Um, and you never need to worry really about like slipping on the, about, about like slipping and actually st- poking your head out or whatever. It's all very binary, you know, when you're seen, you know, when you're not seen. Mm. Um, but yeah, when I, uh, when it first came out, um, I, I found it a bit too hard for a start. They've added an easy mode since then. Um, uh, and also I, it's, it's hard to tell exactly why I didn't like it as well. Cause I think it's partly in the way that the levels were generated, the, the whole like procedural generation code that goes into them. I found myself. Uh, when it first came out, getting stuck with levels that were really hard or confusing. Um, but they seem to have ironed that out now, or maybe I was just super unlucky when I first tried it. <laughs> you know, have you random. managed to complete it? Uh, so I've got to the last mission and then failed uh, so far. <laughs> On uh, easy mode. Uh, yes, it's still very okay. hard, but it's kind of it's kind of designed for a lot of replays. Um, but, um, both in the case of individual missions, which you can just um, uh, which are all, you know, procedurally generated, so they're always fresh every time. Uh, but also a campaign is like, you string together about, I'm trying to remember, probably about six missions maybe, something like that, not that many. Um, and then there's, that leads towards a, like, final story mission at the end of it. Um, but the first time I, uh, and that, one of the thing, criticisms I still have is that the first time I got into the story mission at the end of it, basically a lot of stuff happened that I didn't know was gonna happen, and thus I was not prepared for. <laughs> Um, right. Like, um, like uh, there's parts in that we have to have a specific person, a specific character, like go ha- go and hack a console rather than it just being anyone, which has never happened in the game up until then. And I, I had to go on the other side of the map. <laughs> I was like, oh, this is going to take ages. And one of the one of the tricks of Invisible Ink is that uh, there's this alarm state which gradually racks up. So 
when you arrive in a location, people kind of know you're there and they just get more and more alert as it goes along, so you have to go fast. And obviously when you've spent, got the wrong guy at the other side of the map, that's a huge waste of time. And the alarm state goes up and more guards show up and things go horribly wrong. Do you know what that, um, the idea of a game kind of changing the rules halfway mm. through reminds me of? Mm. Nuclear Throne. Ah. Rami did a, Rami did a talk about it at Video Brains, the, the mm. same Christmas one that I did the talk about Kitty Powers, and he's, he revealed several of the instances in the game where the player will expect one thing to happen and something else will happen instead mm. and then they'll die. And then they'll need to start again from the beginning. And now with the knowledge that that is going to happen, they'll be able to get further. But there's no, there's pretty much no way you could complete the game first try because you don't know what to expect. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, like um, bosses who blow up and kill you if you're standing too close to them and stuff like that. Yeah, and that works okay in Nuclear Throne, I think, because I, th- I don't know, I think to complete all of Nuclear Throne, like, in one sitting, it still only takes, like, half an hour, an hour. It's just your exp- it's just that most of the time you're actually just going to play for five minutes and then die. Mm, yeah. Um, yeah. It's super quick. Yeah, whereas Invisible Ink stretches it a little bit longer, so having played it for, like, I think, Probably about six hours when I got to the first ending, it felt a bit. Even though that, even though I had the chance to retry it, it still felt a bit more unfair. Um, and I could have, to be honest, that I could have just retried that mission again, and that would have been fine. Um, but instead, I elected to uh, start a new campaign, and every time you do, you get um, new experience. So you start, uh, so you can start with new stuff, including different agents and things like that. All the agents are really cool as well. If you've, if you've seen the art for it, it looks fantastic. It's got this great sort of low poly film noir style. Oh, um, that sounds really cool. Uh and there's the always great designs for all these agents who are all from like far flung corners of the world. Um my my current favourite is called International, who is a Cuban socialist. <laughs> right. uh, and her uh, yeah. Her bio says that she's one of the best hackers in the business, just don't let her lecture you on the trials of the proletariat. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> okay. Sounds cool. Um what are some of the others? Uh, so as Decker, the, the two you start with when you start the game for the first time are International and Decker, who is um, very much like the film noir archetype. Um, he's uh, got the big trench coat and hat, which is, again, in his bio is said to be like a weird affectation that he has. That's not how people dress in this world. It's just this one dude. Okay. Um, Sounds like it's got good flavour text. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yes, there's, there's very, the narrative is very slim. Um, you get uh, a handful of interactions with some characters, uh, but it's a lot of people's background is talked about in this sort of flavor text. Um, the only person who really talks are Contro- uh, Control, who's the um, uh, the woman who runs the agency that you're supposed to be part of, and um, Monster, who's one of the traders. Uh, but yeah, there's uh, all sorts of weird little backstories to these people. I'm trying to remember some of them now. Uh, there's a woman I can't remember which, what her name is who uh, used to be a who used to be a film star who because uh, it's a very like uh, dystopian cyberpunk corporatist future and she basically got the corporate version of the of McCarthyism for speaking out against corporations and uh, now has become some sort of weird spy person. <laughs> right. Uh, so yeah, there's all sorts of really um, fun little backstories to them um, and like I said, all the Oh, all the art looks fantastic. It's by Clay, who've done uh, Mark of the Ninja and uh, Shank and a bunch of other stuff, and they're super good at animation. I've I heard, although I can't, I don't know, so I, you know, cool if true that some of their animators used to work at Cartoon Network, which would explain why they're why they're so very good. Uh, so yeah, it's it's really interesting. It's got a, it's got a lot of attention to it. It's very replayable, um, and I think the combination of turn based and stealth works really well, um, and yeah, uh, it's been, the difficulty's been very sort of carefully refined a little since, uh, I first, it's, since I first tried it in early access. Mm. That gives me a good segue. Mm-hmm. It's one of my other favorite games of 2015 was Mushroom 11. Ah, yeah. It's also had its difficulty refined, uh, mm. to be made easier. Uh, I think the day after I finished it. <laughs> Uh, which is pretty frustrating. I was supposed to review it, but I didn't end up writing the review because I played the whole thing and then they changed a bunch of stuff, um, like an entire level, I think, that was, that. I mean, it was ridiculously difficult the first time around. I think I quit and went back to it to try again uh, and just kept on trying. But um, I think I've talked about Mushroom 11 before because I've definitely mm. played it at events and things. And you can see that the first couple of levels are really, really refined because um, they've obviously had a lot of feedback from having it at EGX and places like that. 
but for those who don't know, Mushroom Eleven is, uh, I guess, kind of like Invisible Ink. It's set in the future. Um, there seems to be, uh, seems to have been an, some kind of outbreak that's wiped out humanity. And you play this weird, um, kind of fungusy type organism thing. It's basically a green blob. Um, and the way you move the green blob through the levels, um, so it's side on 2D, really, really pretty. The way you move the blob through the levels is you delete parts of it that then grow back elsewhere. Um, they don't, in fact, I, I used to think that they grew back the opposite side of the organism, but they don't, they just, they just pick a spot on the organism to grow. So it might grow back just next to where you deleted it, or it might grow back on the opposite side. Um, mm-hmm. but you kind of get this flow going where you have your big cursor that deletes parts of the organism and then mm-hmm. they grow back elsewhere. And it, when you watch someone playing it, it looks like this, um, organism is moving really, really smoothly like water. Um, but it isn't at all. It's a, solid object that if you leave it alone it acts like um a fully solid object of that shape so it'll fall over um or kind of topple off the edges of things and you use this shaping mechanic to solve puzzles to progress so you might have like a platform and then uh, a big gap to another platform and in the gap there's like a like a spinning wheel and you have to get the organism hooked onto the wheel that will then spin round and launch you onto the other platform if you're the right shape. Um, so it's basically just playing with physics the entire time um, to get through mm. all the levels. But it gets more and more difficult. The one that they changed was a minecart level where you just had to kind of guess um, how much weight you needed to get it to launch you from one minecart to another. Um, and I think I, it must have taken me a dozen tries uh, it's a good thing I'm a very patient person. Um, I can understand why they changed it, though. They made it much simpler. Um, they wanted people to use it uh, to do speed runs. So they've got like a timer and you can do a speed run mode, um, which it just it's it's kind of finicky. So I can't really see the appeal in doing that myself because you would need to know exactly how much of the mushroom to delete or uh, organism and and you know exactly what shape you wanted it to be and be able to be really precise with where you click to make that happen which just seems like a bit too much of a faff for me mm. um but i really really liked it i just you know i like puzzle games and i like platformers and this is both yeah, it's beautiful yeah i got a chance to uh, play it at uh, game city i think it was uh, uh i was uh, playing there it was running it's a really interesting feeling to like as you sort of gently scrub the mushroom away and it reappears the other side um just slowly wiping on it. So it's kind of like curling, if you know what I mean. Are you, <laughs> you yeah. you're doing the little sort of wavy motion to uh, gently erase it, and then it's moving very slowly in the other direction. Uh, I guess it's another example of cleaning up, except yeah. it then just automatically comes back. Yes, you cannot ever clean up Mushroom Eleven. Mm. But you do get the moment where you know you've carefully laid all the different parts because you can do things like split it in half mm. and leave one half on a switch that opens a door, and then navigate the other half through, and then delete the bit that you left behind and you do get that moment after you've solved the puzzle to just kind of wipe it all away and see where it regrows and then carry on Mm. but it's really good and i think people kind of missed it um so it's worth checking out if people haven't already Mm -hmm. it's on steam do you want to talk about any more games we're at about 45 minutes at the moment uh i will quickly mention a couple of just um honorable mentions Mm. um kalimba i think i've maybe talked about before um, it came out on PC this year. I think it came out on Xbox the year before. Um, it's really, really good. If you like puzzle platformers, again, it's really pretty. It makes really nice noises. Um, it's You play as two totems, and they move at the same time. So you use the geometry of the level to um, navigate them into different places. So you know, you'll know you move right, and one of them will get stuck behind a hill, and the other one will go forward into a gap, and that's mm. exactly where you want it to be. And you can play it co-op as well. You each control two totems, so you've got four all together, and sometimes you're working separately, and sometimes you're working together. Um, also good for co-op um, is LEGO Dimensions, mm. which um, is expensive, but I think of all the Toys to Life games, I think it was uh, the most worthwhile, because you actually build the toys yourself, which um, anyone who likes Lego will immediately love. And the portal, rather than just being a thing that you put the toys on, it's actually used um, in the game. So to solve puzzles in each level of the campaign or in each world of the campaign, you get a different way to solve puzzles with the portal that involves moving your characters from one spot to another, mm-hmm. um, which is really, really cool. 
Uh, obviously, it's a, a bit of a money spinner, all the extra sets and everything. But the good thing about it is you only have to buy the ones you want, which, you know, if you oh. like Back to the Future, just buy the Back to the Future ones. I'd like to give an honorable mention to all the incredibly long RPGs that were released this year and I could not finish. Uh, okay. <laughs> specifically Pillars of Eternity. Um, which oh, I've, I've heard good things. Yeah, which I really enjoyed. I've played a little bit of it because there's so many huge games this year. It just in terms of length. Um, and also Shadowrun Hong Kong, which um, looks really interesting, and I've backed on Kickstarter, and I have not had a chance to start yet. Um, 2015 was the year of the big the big games, wasn't it? I suppose so, but there were also loads of really cool small games, which does lead me on to the thing I did want to ask, which is, um, what's the game that uh, you did not play in 2015, but you, were, you, really, um, you really want to and you regret missing? That's a really good question. Um... I mean, so the game everyone was talking about in 2015 that I didn't play was Life is Strange, but I'm not sure I want to, um, mm. because I heard whisperings about the last episode. I think it gets a bit wacky, um, mm. and a little bit, you know, I, I, from, I mean, the, the problem with Life is Strange is that everybody's talking about, but no one is talking about it because nobody wants to spoil anything. Yeah. So my impressions of it are just bits and pieces that I've picked up. Mm. Um, but from what I've seen, I don't think, I mean, I like happy stories and it doesn't seem like it's a happy story. So I think I'll probably give it a miss. I might, that might be one that I watch on mm. Twitch or something. How about you? I was going to say, I, I've, uh, I've, I recently got a copy of her story, but I have not had a chance to play it yet. Oh, and you'll I love it. Play that. Yeah. I, I'm really interested in investigation games. Um, and I, I well, actually, I, 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 back at Res in like March, I played, uh, I briefly got to play an early build of it. So I haven't had a chance to actually delve into the proper release game yet. Um, and I'm really interested in that. I don't know why I haven't played it because I could probably play it in an evening. <laughs> I was going to say, yeah, that is the kind of game you play in one go. I played yeah. it with my housemate, um, kind of watching over my shoulder and telling me what to search for. And I think we did finish it pretty much in one yeah. play. Maybe I'll play it this weekend. Good idea. Um, I won't be playing that this weekend because I will be playing The Witness, ah. uh, which I'm allowed to talk about because presumably this podcast won't go out before the embargo. <laughs> um, so, yeah, The Witness, mm-hmm. um, which is not a small game. <laughs> um, I mean, it's been in development for, what, like six or seven years or something? Something like that. I mean, Braid was 2006, I think. So, mm. yeah, uh, so a but long I, time. It's... um. I really, really like it. Mm. Um, it, it just, it's just puzzles. It really, it really is just puzzles. Um, but I really like puzzles, so that's fine. Um, I don't want to, the problem is because a lot of it is discovering how to solve the different kinds of puzzles and, uh, where to find them and stuff. I don't want to say too much about it. But if you like brain teasers, then it's definitely, definitely, definitely worth getting. I've been playing it a lot with other people. Um, mm-hmm. So I had friends over at the weekend and they were playing it with me. You know, uh, one of us would be on the controller and uh, the other one would be looking over their shoulder, trying to guess the solution to the puzzle before them so that they could feel smarter. Um, it's very much that kind of game. I've been sending kind of pictures taken on my phone of puzzles in the game to people on Facebook Messenger to get them to help me with them. Um, it's, yeah, no, I really like it. You presumably have not played it. No, no, I haven't. Do you have any questions about it? What would you want to know? Uh, I don't know. It's, it's a difficult one. It's So someone, I was just thinking that so much of a discussion about it is, and this, happens, this has happened with a few indie games, is... Um, because it's been compared to Mist, and basically the whole discussion has been about that. But um, I'd be really interested to see uh, your review of it as well, because obviously you weren't uh, Mist is before your time. Uh, yeah, I didn't play Mist, <laughs> exactly. so I have no idea. And this, this is kind of like so. There's been a few indie games like that where it's been like kind of a throwback to something, um, and it's been talked about entirely in in reference. So, so like Undertale is often talked about in reference to um, Earthbound, which I didn't play. Um, so. Uh, Legend of Grimrock is only talked about in, in, in reference to those super old dungeon crawlers like Dungeon Master. Um, mm. and I think it's, it's kind of important to have the perspective of someone who hasn't played those games as well. 
Yeah, that's that's interesting, actually. Um, I think about that a lot, obviously, because um, so Keith, my editor at The Guardian, mm. is is, you know, quite a bit older than me. <laughs> Um, like, mm. let's just say more than a decade, more he's, than a decade. He's OG. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, so he'll always be referencing games and movies and mm. stuff that I've never seen. And I do wonder how it, um, not taints his, his <laughs> view of games and my view of games, but how it makes the lens through which we view current video games, um, vastly different. Mm-hmm. Um, as far as Mist is concerned, I don't think I've played it, but, um, from what I've seen, it's set on an island, right? Mm. And yeah, same, uh, the same with the witness. Yeah, I don't know that much either, but yes, yeah, set on an island, lots of puzzles, lots of FMV, which I don't think is in the witness. No, <laughs> no, yeah. there's not. Although I imagine we'll see that come back now that her story <laughs> has done so well. Yeah, um, they did. Um, in fact, they, uh, Humble recently did an FMV bundle, which was basically her story, lots of um, those text, whatever it is, uh, ga- uh, uh, games. And Roundabout, which isn't really an FMV game, but everyone kind of thinks it is. Oh, I love Roundabout. <laughs> that oh, that's such a great game. It does have. Um, well, FMV, it, ha- it has FMV cutscenes, yeah, but it's not like that. They're, they're they're very separate from the game, I guess. Yeah, and they don't change depending on what you do. I don't think. Uh, I can't remember. Oh, Roundabout's a great game. People should definitely play that. Yeah, well, I've got that now because of that bundle, so I'll give it a try. I really liked it. Um, I don't know how much other to say about The Witness other than it is, it's very beautiful. Um, it's, I mean, it's basically just a huge island that you walk around and explore, solve puzzles, and then realize you can't solve any more in that area. So you go to another area and solve a few there, and then you learn, mm. you know, some new tricks about how the puzzles work, and then you go back to a different area and turns out you actually can solve them mm. after all. And it's just kind of, yeah, wandering around. So is uh, it? Do you find it? Do you find it quite well balanced? Because I found eventually that, and this might be because I've I've never been any good at two D platformers that I never finished Braid because it was just too hard. <laughs> right. Um. I never finished Braid either. Um. But I'm a significant way through The Witness. It mm. might be because, um. So the good thing about The Witness is that because most of the puzzles they just kind of. I mean, the way you interact with them is that you draw a line. Um, as, as has been shown on all the trailers. Um, there are loads and loads of different ways that the puzzles work, but they are all very self-contained. Um, if you know what I mean. So you've just got your one, your one grid or whatever mm-hmm. or shape, and then you know that you need to draw a line through it. Um, you, there are different symbols that mean different things. Um, I won't go into too much detail, but you know that that basically that is your puzzle. You know, mm-hmm. there's not, whereas with braid, there's a whole level that you have to think about with all the different mechanics that you've got to remember that you can do. Um, and I think it just feels kind of broader, like more to remember, if you know mm-hmm. what I mean, more to um, hold in your head. Whereas with The Witness, it's just like, okay, there's this puzzle, right? Okay, I'll do I'll do that, and then I'll move on to a different one. And mm-hmm. yeah, take, take things one at a time. I would say this leads me neatly onto what my next question was going to be, which is what game are you, game or games are you most looking forward to in 2016? So we are going to be, so I'm hosting the next Guardian Live event in mm. February the 18th uh, in the evening, and we're going to be talking about Firewatch, which mm. I don't know much about, but I trust the guys behind it. Yeah, um, so it's, uh, it's a really good team. So it's, um, it's like, it's the writers of, the Walking Dead uh, and uh, Chris Riemer who did uh, music for Gone Home um, mm. and lots of Double Fine games. Some a lot of ex Double Fine people as well. I think isn't uh, Nina Freeman also working on it? Oh no, she's working on Tacoma. Yeah. So um, yeah, um, and most of the people involved in the Idle Thumbs podcast, basically, uh, all of whom there's, there's, a, there's a lot of crossover between that, obviously, because both of them are kind of walking around looking at things, games, and yeah. those guys and Steve Gainer hang around all the time. I think uh, I hold them in the same yeah. the same category in my yeah, head because they're all in the uh, they're all part of the Idle Thumbs podcast. Or, mm, well, at least they right. were. I don't know if Steve Gainer's still on it. He might be busy. <laughs> but um, yeah, but as far as I can tell, in Firewatch, you play the role of a I don't know what the actual name of the job is but someone who watches for forest fires mm. yeah um, some kind of park ranger or something right so a lot know. of it will I be live in england we don't forest. have giant national parks <laughs> no I was gonna, we don't <laughs> we just yeah, have we regular have. countryside 
Um, but it looks it looks really pretty mm. and seems like it'll be another interesting kind of wandering around game, which yeah. I've grown to love. It looks really interesting. One of the things that uh, interested me is that in addition to it just being like, uh, uh, I don't want to say walking simulator, in addition to it being like a walking around game, um, it also seems to have a little bit more like dialogue to it because you've got... Um, You've got, uh, there's a, a whole interplay between your character and, uh, the woman he's talking, his superior who he's talking to on the radio. Um, so that, there's a little bit more sort of character to that. Right. It's less kind of audio diaries or, yeah. or light shows, which is what I was calling the things that <laughs> happen in everybody's gone to the rapture. Yeah. And, yes. and more kind of real feeling and. Current. Yeah. So there's a little bit more interaction. I think, oh, I can't remember. This was from ages ago, so I can't remember if this is actually part of it or not, but I seem to remember there was a thing where you could point your radio at something and, and like click the use button and it would initiate a conversation based on it, which sounded really interesting. Oh, cool. Doesn't something like that happen in Metal Gear Solid? Uh, I don't know. You can ask the guy on the end of the radio to tell you about plants and things that you come across, uh, I think. See, to me, it reminded me of um, The Heart and Dishonored. Uh, tells oh, people's yeah. backstory in a really eerie, tragic manner. I wonder <laughs> if that'll be in Dishonored 2. Mm. I'm looking forward to that as well. When does that come out? Probably this year. I'd assume so. And we've also got um, the new Mirror's Edge is coming out this year as well. I'm very excited for uh, Deus Ex and XCOM which were my two favourite games of 2011 and now might be my two favourite games of 2016. Uh, <laughs> oh, it does sometimes feel like we just go round and round, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, other than that, um, uh, as you say, Firewatch looks great. Um, I haven't, again, that I've been looking forward to for a while, but I haven't heard about it for a while, is um, Quadrilateral Cowboy. Oh, um, yeah, Brendan... Uh, Brendan Chung. Yes. Uh, who made... Uh, 30 Flights of Loving, which is one of my favourite games ever, and it seems to have that kind of 30 Flights uh, interesting first-person cinema ideas mixed in with some um, sort of more stealth game, hacking gameplay, uh, which sounds interesting. Um, oh, speaking of hacking games, have you played Else Heartbreak? I haven't, no. I've been playing it recently. Um, I like the idea, but I don't think I'm smart enough. <laughs> um also it takes a really or it took me a really long time to get to the bit where you're actually doing the hacking oh. you kind of have to play through so it starts off like a like a regular adventure game you play this guy who gets a job in a new town and you go to the town and you have to find your way to meet the person who it represents the company you're working for and get the job and you're a soda salesman so you have to go and sell soda to people and you just kind of walk around and like talk to people mm. and then eventually you get introduced into this um this underworld of hackers and you finally get to actually get your hands on one of these devices and start hacking things yourself and then i mean it's super interesting um you can hack like basically anything in the world so you can hack street lights and trash cans and um food you can hack coffee so that it makes people smelly or drunk or sleepy um which um is, is is amazing and because you have to learn to actually use the language of the game which i think is called sprack it really does teach programming logic you know mm. you have to do if else statements and you learn about loops and stuff and that's kind of where i start to get a little bit lost mm. um i mean the problem is that i'm playing it for review um i'm reviewing it for mac life so i I, f I feel like I need to rush through it, which is definitely mm -hmm. counter to the way you're supposed to play it. Um, yeah, that can be tricky sometimes. And like I said with, so the, the the appeal of The Witness for me is that all the puzzles are very self-contained, whereas in Else Heartbreak, it's like, here are some tools, basically programming. Uh, you can program anything, go, mm -hmm. um, which I don't, I know a lot of people like that um, and just kind of playing with systems and open world type stuff, but I find it um, overwhelming, I think. Mm -hmm. Um, but it's definitely interesting, um, and I think you would probably like it. Oh. What right. else are you looking forward to in 2016? Um, oh, I'm trying to think now. So those were the most of my main ones. Um, I was going to say Firewatch, but you got there first. Sorry. Because uh, <laughs> <laughs> we're talking about it at the Guardian Live event, which yeah. everyone should come to. Um, Tacoma it's... as well. Um, mm. Looks uh, really interesting. Um, yeah, I'll be interested to see that style of... Uh, I really enjoyed Gone Home and the idea of taking it to... Some a slightly more mysterious location is, is super interesting. Um, although it will be quite funny if it turns out to be just the same story again. <laughs> 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 it's a deserted space station. Oh, it turns out they all left home because people wouldn't accept their sexuality. Uh, <laughs> Spoilers for Gone Home. <laughs> Sorry. Um, 
Yeah. Oh. Are you looking forward to XCOM 2? Uh, yes. Yes, sorry. I did say XCOM 2 as well as uh, Deus Ex. Um, I was a big fan of the first one. It's, um, it's very much my kind of thing. Uh, and yeah, like uh, XCOM 2 and Deus Ex, uh, I really loved the first games and I'm really excited for a sequel. You're right, it is kind of going around again. But there aren't that many games like XCOM. There's like that kind of small scale turn based strategy game. There's, mm. there's that, there's Invisible Ink and not much else. Well, it's kind of, I mean, you basically call that uh, Invisible Ink and XCOM alike. Yeah. Um, so it's kind of its own genre. Yeah. It's the interesting thing about it as well is that it's, obviously the, the first XCOM was in like 90, possibly 95, super, uh, uh, super long ago. Um, and it was the only game like that then. I think they called it turn-based tactics at the time, which is mm. a bad name. Um, but it just never caught on and hardly anyone made any games like that again for the next 20 years. <laughs> And then they made another XCOM game, and then people were like, oh, wow, this is really good. Let's make more games like that. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm really looking forward to in 2016. Mm. Unravel. Ah, you do like wall wall things. I really like cute platformers, (laughs) it's got to be said. Mm. Uh, More like Yoshi's Woolly World um, and Kirby's Epic Yarn and stuff like that. I I think my thing is overly beautiful... uh, platformers or puzzle games i think that's my genre or sims obviously that's mm. kind of its own thing do you know what else i'm really looking forward to in 2016 mm-hmm. doing more of this podcast yes uh which is probably a good place for us to stop so that yeah, we've got uh, more things to talk about next time <laughs> no that makes sense yeah um if people want to send us suggestions of things to talk about or questions where should they send them to uh, we have a Twitter handle, which is at notagamepodcast, and we also have uh, an email, which is notagamepodcast at gmail.com. Cool. And if you want to follow us individually, I'm at Jawsu, J-A-W-S-E-W. And I'm at Word Mercenary. Which you don't have to spell because it's just Word and then <laughs> Mercenary. Very words. <laughs> well, okay, probably not that common if you don't play if you if you don't play as many games or read as much fantasy as I do. The word Mercenary probably doesn't enter your life that much. Um, um, next episode, we'll probably have a guest. Um, mm-hmm. Hopefully, anyway, I don't want to make any promises, but you know, <laughs> it'll probably be someone super cool. Mm. So stay tuned for that. Please keep listening. <laughs> I'm worried that no one will have heard this because we've been away for nine months, so nobody will know that this is coming out. We'll have to tweet it loads. Mm. Yeah, we're way more popular now, so it's fine. That's true. <laughs> we're just both incredibly popular and famous. Yeah. Yeah, let, let's see. <laughs> see how that goes. Um, but yeah, until next time, thank you for listening, and goodbye. Bye. Okay, cool. You ready? You can start talking when I when I say your name, okay? Okay. <laughs> Don't put that bit in it. <laughs>